Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah? Hold on, let me set up this whole thing. So, you're gonna have to listen very fast today, okay? <laughs> good Thanksgiving? Yeah, very good. All right, well, you know, um, about 60% of the New Testament is compiled by the letters of the Apostle Paul. Um, there's many different types of letter because he wrote these letters in response to questions, to needs, to different situations in those churches, uh, many of which he planted first. Um, but um, see, there is one letter in particular that stands out in contrast to the rest of those letters, uh, and that's the letter to the Philippians. See, if you read all the other letters, you'll see that there is always some confrontation, you know, some, some guidance. Sometimes he reprimands people and tells them what they should not be doing. But not the Philippians. The letter to the Philippians is a letter that is full of the joy that it's in the heart of the Apostle Paul. The, the love that he feels for these people, but specifically because he sees them as, as a mature church. I think that it's probably the best image that we have in the New Testament of what maturity looks like. And, and what I find fascinating of this letter is how the Apostle Paul shows us that they had such maturity from the beginning of their conversion and also what is the result or what will be the result of that maturity, okay? So um, I'm going to go to the end of the letter. I'm going to read to you Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 19. And I want to try and show you these two things because I think that they're going to change your heart. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 19 says this. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, this church that Paul planted in Philippi was a very poor church. It is known to be the poorest church in the area. But they have a quality that is the product of the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They have generosity. See, these people started collecting money and send it to Paul to support him in his ministry. It's kind of like, you know, when they received the gospel, they were so grateful that Paul had obeyed the Lord and risking his own life, he had gone to bring them the gospel. And, and, and what they want is, is that he continues to do that. They, they kind of thought like, we, we need to help this guy to continue to do for others what he did for us. But I want you to pay attention to the words that he used. In verse 14, he said, yet it was good of you to share 
in my troubles. That, that word share in Greek is koinonia, which is the same word that he used in the beginning of the letter. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. This is how he started his letter after saluting people there. He says, I thank my God every time I remembered you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This letter is full of joy. More than 20 times in four chapters, he repeats the words joy. But wh why is he joyful? He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That, that word partnership, it's exactly the same word that he used when he said, you share in my trouble. It's koinonia. It can be translated as partnership, as communion, but it can also be translated as fellowship. Look how he used it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful who has called you into koinonia, fellowship, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, what Paul is saying is that these Philippians are not just acquaintances of his. You know, he's talking about a much deeper relationship. You know, a relationship with, where both sides are so committed to each other that they're there for each other no matter what. I don't know if um, you are part of a family or if you have seen a family, because not, not all families behave this way, but there are families that are so tight, you know, so there for each other that it doesn't matter what happens, they're always there. They're always helping each other. They truly love each other. They're super interconnected. And this is the type of relationship that koinonia, you know, reflects. It happens when a group of people, you know, get to have this special relationship that even though they are not family, they become a family. They truly trust each other and they're there to try to help each other and they're united by a common goal. You know, maybe you have lived this in the past in your life. You know, maybe at school with some friends or, or, or in sports with a team or maybe at work, you know, where the relationship becomes so good that you go there and do these things because you love hanging out with these people, not just because you have to. You know, you go to school and it doesn't seem like hard to go to school or, or go to work, but it doesn't feel like work because of the relationship that you have with these other people. You know, if you have lived this in the have you lived that? Have, have, have you ever experienced this? No, I'm very sad for you if you don't, but um, I mean, <laughs> you know, because people that have lived this miss it. It's something that once you move away from that group, you kind of want to repeat the experience, but it's really hard to do. And this is exactly the relationship that Paul is trying to describe that he has with these people in Philippi. You know, and, and it's hard to see that why is it so deep the relationship in the letter to the Philippians because their relationship is developed in the book of Acts. See, Paul uh, went to uh, Philippi on his second missionary trip. He plants the church and then he goes back to visit them. He always keeps track of what's happening with them. He goes back five years later in his third missionary trip. And then on the way back from his third missionary trip, he stops once again in this church. And you can find all of that in the book of Acts. But by the time Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, more than 10 years have passed. That means Paul knows these people for over a decade. And look at how he describes how they show their commitment to Paul's ministry. Verses 15 and 16, he says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your 
your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. See, to understand the, 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 the significance of what he just said, I want to show you where Thessalonica is and where Philippi is. We have a map. Do we have the map somewhere there? See, that's a map that shows the second missionary trip of Paul. To the very right at the bottom is Jerusalem. You know, he started tra traveling up north to Antioch. Then he starts crossing all of Galatia, jumps through the ocean. Well, not jumps. He sailed, okay? And then he gets to Macedonia. We're going to enlarge that little rectangle that we have there. See, there is Philippi. And to the left of Philippi is Thessalonica, okay? Thessalonica, it's only like 100 miles from Philippi. Now, try to understand what he's talking about. The Bible says that Paul gets to Philippi, and he spends there an undetermined amount of time. We can take the map away so they can stop looking at it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> see, he spends in Philippi an undetermined amount of time, okay? And then he goes to Thessalonica, and the Bible says that he spends there three weeks. He preaches for three weeks in Thessalonica, and we just read in verse 16 that the Philippians sent help more than once to Thessalonica while he was there preaching, which means that these people were so committed to helping poor that they must have started a collection of money the moment that he left. And they must have sent it soon after he left so that they will catch up with him before he left Thessalonica. So can you imagine the surprise of Paul when he's there in Thessalonica preaching and all of a sudden a messenger comes and says, hey, I'm coming from, from Philippi. Here, here's a gift for you. We don't want you to have to worry about your needs. We don't want you to have to look for a job to, to be preaching. We just want you to, to preach. See, these people from the beginning of their conversion, they were generous. And remember, this, this church was poor. So this was sacrificial generosity. Now, that was then. Now, 10 years later, Paul is in prison in Rome. And all of a sudden, Epaphroditus shows up with another gift, 10 years later. See, we know that Paul sometimes made tents to support himself. Actually, if you read the letters to the Thessalonians, he says, I made tents to support myself so I wouldn't be a burden to you. You can tell that Paul was a very sharp guy and he could read his audience very well. The people in Thessalonica must have been a little bit more skeptical, you know, like, what does this guy want? So he was like, I don't want to be a burden. You know, I'll work for a living if I have to. You know, you don't have to give me anything. But, but in Philippi, he meets a lady that's called Lydia that has money and says, hey, stay at my house. And he says, I will allow myself to be loved here. You know, and he, he hangs out with them there, you know. But in general, what Paul is doing is he is depending on the generosity of the churches to support him. You know, he even writes to some of those churches and tells them that they need to help support whoever preaches the gospel. Look at what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. He says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar sharing what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 
So Paul is really trusting in the Lord that the very church is going to sustain him. Now, he doesn't know when another messenger is going to show up with a gift, so he's living by faith. And this is why God calls the church, that means every member of his body, to be generous and to support you know, with the resources so that the work of the church is going forward. You know, look, this, is, this is why I love community of faith. Because I don't know if you know the story of this church or for how long have you been coming, but this church is one of the most generous churches that exists, and this is because of the heart of your pastors. Pastors Mark and Laura Shook have a loving heart for the nations. Yeah, I mean, this, this is truly amazing. You know, the fact that you guys build an orphanage in Costa Rica before you even build this building is amazing. But you know what I heard this week from, from a member of the church? That, that they mentioned this to another person, that you have built an orphanage before the building, and that person didn't understand it. It was actually like upset, like, what? Why would they do that? You know, they should build first their church and then they can help other people. See, they don't understand what Paul is trying to teach us here. See, God's wish, it's not only that you grow in maturity, in generosity, but that you grow through generosity. What Paul is teaching here, see, we talk a lot about how we have to grow in generosity, to have a heart that is willing to give. But Paul is talking here about the fact that the Philippians grew through generosity. It is because they became generous from the moment that they started, that they started growing so fast. Why? Because that's the way that God designed things. It is only when you become a generous person that you learn to trust in Him and your faith grows. And it's also, as we're going to see in a little bit, that is the way that you grow in other areas of your life and you have triumph of, over other areas of your life. See, if you read the letter to the Philippians, you're going to see how Paul talks about to not be anxious about anything, but be grateful and prayerful. He talks about how he's content with what he has in whatever circumstance. Paul says that all of that happens through generosity. That is the design of God for his church, that we will become partners with God by being partners with each other. That is to say that the believers that were saved in a supernatural way will plant local churches that will help expand his kingdom and his work throughout the world. See, some, some theologians call the church that is still on earth the militant church. You know, the church that has already gone to heaven, they call that the eternal church. But while we're here and we're part of the church, we're part of a squad of the army of God. And we come here every Sunday and, and, and we worship God and we make plans and we, we receive strategies so that we can go back into the world into battle. We become partners of God and of the church so that we can send people and help, you know, to bring his word to the ends of the earth. But to do that, we need koinonia, we need communion, we need fellowship among ourselves and with God. See, we need that the spectators in the church become the, the, the actors, the players in the church. The people that has come just to receive will become givers. And, 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 and the sad thing is that 
That is the biggest challenge that we have as believers. See, that is usually one of the last steps that people give in faith. And this is why you have to remember that you grow through generosity. Do you know what that means? Being generous transforms your heart. It changes you because you become a witness to the faithfulness of God. See, um, Franco was just talking a few minutes ago about the building in Cancun. You know, my testimony throughout our campaign to build that building, it's like when we started that campaign in 2014, we told people pretty much the same thing that Laura explained to you in the beginning of, of the service. You know, we said, we're going to start a campaign to build a building. And we don't want this to be a timeshare sale, you know? I'm not going to pressure you and make you all emotional and make you commit to something. I want you to go and pray and ask God, you know, put in my heart a number, you know, of what am I going to be offering above my tithe for the next three years to build this building. And this is what we presented to the church with the plan that we were going to follow. Some people, after we presented that plan, left the church. Maybe they had been burned, you know, before somewhere else. Uh, they didn't believe that we were going to do that, so they left. Some other people, we started the commitment and we started about 250 families. We committed to do this. And some of them, after a number of months, you know, started getting discouraged and stopped giving because they wouldn't see anything happening. They didn't realize that the first few months is just permits to build. And then we had to start working on the foundation of the church. Cancun is full of underground caves. So for the longest time, we were just filling caves and then preparing the foundation, you know? And I told them, I said, if you believe and you commit to give for this campaign, you know, you're going to see God in action. You're going to see a miracle happen and that is going to change your heart. And many families, more than 200 families committed and we stayed, I wish, you could have been there the day that we entered that building. Those families walked into the building with tears in their eyes. They saw the miracle that got performed in order to build that building that we had no business building. You know, and many of them up until today tell me, that changed my life. You know, I realized that God truly provides because I gave what I didn't have and got kept providing and providing and providing him. And up until today, now I am a cheerful giver because I know what he can do. Now, of course, when we talk about giving, being generous, we're not just talking about money. You know, we talk about being generous with your time, you know, with your talents, you know, with, your, with, with whatever you can give to some other people. You realize that uh, our churches exist and can run thanks to the hundreds and hundreds of people that are generous with their time to serve you. you know, every time that you pray for another person, you realize you're being generous. You're using your time, your prayer time, to intercede for someone else. Every time you sit down to have a cup of coffee with a friend and encourage them and talk to them about what the Word says or just cry with them, you know, people will call and say, can you sit down with me? You're being generous. When people call you and say, hey, can you help me move? That's when you say, don't cross the line, man, okay? 
That's a little too much. But, see, but the reality is that, see, for God it's very important that you are very generous with your money, and I'm going to tell you why. Because what he's after is your heart. He knows that if he makes you open your heart to the point where you allow him to truly rule in your heart, you're going to realize that you don't need anything else but him. And the problem is, the Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart is. And this is why he's all the time inviting you to give. Because the moment that you let go of that, you're going to let him in. You know, this is what Paul is talking about here. You know, we, we, we provide for the church and allow for God's, to, God's work to go to the end of the world through generosity that changes us. Now look how he continues because it gets better and better. Verse 17 says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. See, what's important to Paul is not the gift, it's not what he receives, but the fact that he knows that the credit for the Philippians in heaven is growing. And this is what fills his heart with joy. He's looking at them growing Christ, and even though they have very little, they're willing to invest in the kingdom, being generous. So Paul says, say, I appreciate the present, but I enjoy a lot more what's happening in your heart and what's coming to you in heaven because you have become partners of this ministry. You're partners now in the gospel, not just with me, but with God. Partners. Francis Chan uh, said this phrase, there is an inseparable relationship with financial support and partnership in the gospel. If you are not giving, you're not a partner. You're a consumer or a customer. Paul doesn't see the Philippians as consumer. He sees them as partners. He's, he, he's a witness to their maturity. And th this is what fills him up with joy. What Paul is saying is, do you realize you're going to be rewarded for this? You understand what he's saying? The Philippians are going to receive credit for the achievements of Paul because they became his partners. They were funding his ministry. They will receive the rewards that Jesus Christ talks about. See, in Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. People confuse these lines sometimes and think, oh, so they're going to evaluate me according to what I did and they will let me in or not let me in. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you're going to be in if you put your faith in me, but according to what you did, you will receive rewards. You understand what this means? Can you imagine the credit that the Philippians are going to receive for what they did? See, the Philippians decided to make a collection when they found out Paul was in jail in Rome. Most likely, that gift was not money because he was in jail. So they must have sent him food and things that he needed. Paul is moved, and he writes them a letter, which is this letter, Philippians. And he sends them this letter, and God preserved that letter to, to arrive to us throughout the centuries. Can you imagine the amount of people that has been saved because of Paul's letters? This one in particular... You know, right now in the world, they calculate that there's between 800 million and 1 billion believers, evangelical believers. 
Imagine throughout history how many people were saved because of Paul's letters. And the Philippians invested whatever they put in, they're going to get part of that reward in heaven for everything that Paul accomplished. So the Philippians thought, hey, mate, I don't have the gifts that Paul has. I don't have the same calling. Maybe I don't even have the chance to travel like he does. But I can help. I can give a little bit so he can continue with as little, as, a little money as they could have sent. Because I can guarantee you that there was at least one guy in, in, in Philippi that said, all right, I have five bucks. There they go. Now multiply that by the billions of people that will be saved thanks to Paul. Now, you realize that's exactly the same thing that happens at this church? That whatever you and I put in to help in the world will bring rewards to us in heaven for whatever happens in the world because of what's happening here? See, so this is why you have to understand that giving to the work of God it's a way of worshiping God. It's a, it's a way of being grateful to God. Because I don't know about you, but honestly, I cannot believe that God allows me to be part of this. Because I know my heart. And you know yours. We know the kind of cockroaches that we both are, right? <laughs> so honestly, I cannot understand that God is allowing me to be a part of this. It's a privilege that God is inviting me to be a partner with him. I mean, imagine if you could travel in time and you could arrive to the point where Bill Gates was about to start Microsoft and he looked at you and said, hey, do you have any money? Do you want to invest? I'm going to start a company. Would you have invested? Be honest. Would you have invested? Would you have given him some money and said, sure, you know the future, you know what's going to happen, you know what Microsoft is going to become. So if you give him a thousand bucks or 500 bucks, that's going to become into billions of dollars in the future. Now, tell me this, you think Bill Gates is richer than God? Or that the fruit of his enterprises will pay off eternally in heaven? See, this is a privilege. He's inviting you to invest. Just think about it. Everything you have comes from him. He could take it away from you any moment that he wanted. But instead of doing that, instead of saying, here, I need this for this part. No. He says, would you like to invest? Would you like to be rewarded for this? This is why we tithe. This is why we, the rest of the money that we have, we use it to glorify him. And when we see the needs of other people, we are generous. Paul says, that is how maturity looks like. True believers are always thinking, how can I use my entire life for the glory of God, extending his kingdom? And then he doesn't owe me anything, and on top of it, he's going to reward me for investing what he gave me to invest with. We're going to be rewarded. Blessings until it overflows, says the Bible, while you're on this earth. And rewards that you cannot even imagine in heaven. This is why Paul is so happy. Because of what they're going to receive in heaven. And look how he continues in verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering 
in an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, thanks to your generosity, I have more than I need. But do you Philippians understand that who you really gave to was God, not me? Did you hear his words? This was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He says, you're not giving me. You're giving God every time that you give for the extension of his kingdom, you put a smile in God's face. It says, this is pleasing to God. So God provides. But you know how he provides miraculously for his people? Through his people. Through the people that see life in that way. That they're generous with the gifts that they have received from God. Could God just fulfill the needs directly and, and keep us out of the loop? Of course he could. Why doesn't he do it? Because he loves you. He wants to see you free of the enslavement that you have to money and what money buys. You know, this is why he charges us with providing for the church because the moment that you start loosening your grip on things and you see God in action to provide for you, you grow. And, and, and when you do this, true joy fills your heart in a much bigger joy than you can ever get from money and what money can buy. That's the wisdom of God. His people extending the kingdom, you know, being witnesses to his faithfulness. Paul is talking out of experience. Look at what he says in verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So it's like, I know this. He's been doing it with me all along. He's going to provide for all your needs. And it's important that you underline the word needs. It doesn't say he'll provide whatever you want. He's saying whatever you need, he'll take care of. And this is why Paul is content, whatever the circumstance. He knows God's going to provide. This is why he's not anxious about anything and he teaches us not to be anxious because God is the one that provides in the riches he has in Christ Jesus. So, you know, he will provide for us through us and to him be the glory. Now, in our experience, I can tell you with certainty that God, it's, it's faithful, that he fulfills his promises. You know, when, when we started the church in Cancun, um, I, I kind of lived like Paul. I mean, I didn't make tents, but I, I had a full-time job, okay? And um, in the beginning, it was, it was hard work, you know, a full-time job, church, four kids, my wife, my family, you know? And, and, and we worked hard, and, and the church started going. But I have to confess something to you. In the first few years, I had a very hard time accepting help from people. People sometimes would come and say, hey, I have an offering for you and your family. I want to you know, provide for your needs. And, and I felt wrong. I felt like I'm taking advantage of this person. Actually, for the first three years, I never spoke of money in my sermons, ever. I was afraid. You know, most of the people that were in our church were new believers. Many of them came from the Catholic Church. And I was afraid that the moment that I started talking about tithing, they wouldn't say, like, there it is. All they want is money. Let, let's go, you know. So I never talked about money. And then there was this pastor uh, in Alaska, Rabbit Creek Church, that started coming once a year to Cancun as a missionary to Cancun to kind of help us. 
you know, and he, he realized, you know, how green I was and started giving me advice. And one day he said to me, Marco, if you don't talk about tithing and giving in your church, you're not serving your community properly. You're denying them the blessings that God gives to cheerful givers. Every time somebody wants to bless you and it comes from their heart and they just want to bless you and you say, no, no, thank you. You're saying, no, you can't have any blessings. Sorry, not today. You know, and this is exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's like these people from day one realized that being generous started transforming their hearts. And they, they were receiving blessings and they were being provided for. So, so this is exactly what we need to understand in our heart. I truly hope that it becomes a joy for you to give. But you're not going to experience that unless you start giving and see him at work. So I hope he works in your heart so that you can start seeing things the way that he sees things. You know, that the things that make him happy will make you happy and the things that break his heart will break yours. Because the more you do that, the more you're truly going to want to be his hands and his feet and his eyes and his heart. Because that's what it truly means to be more like Christ. To want to live for God and if needed, die for God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you remember that everything comes from Him and it exists for Him, it'll be a lot more easy for you to be generous when you realize that it's not yours to begin with. He's just letting you be a part of it. He's giving you the privilege to invest in His kingdom. And I hope that you give Him so that you will allow him to change you. Because it's out of love that he's giving you this opportunity to become partners with Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, it is so hard for us, Lord, living in this world of distractions and shiny things, to remember that the most important thing in the universe is you. And that you are all we need. And that you have come to invite us to be a part of your kingdom. Help us, Lord. Break those barriers that we have that make us hold so tight into things that are without value. And help us taste your love, your goodness, your provision by giving us a generous heart. We want to be partners with you, Lord. Thank you for inviting us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.